Hello and welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. It's myself, James, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Uh, good morning, Paul. How are you, mate? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking out onto a nice frosty day and feeling toasty warm in my uh, home office, so it's all good. Um, so, we have another uh, another interesting episode. I know we say it every time, but I generally find them all interesting. We're getting a bit more into technology stacks and like systems architectural discussions today. And I guess the, the, the topic is building bulletproof integrations for e-commerce. And the, the concept behind this is like selecting your tech stack is critical for operational capability and speed to market. It's not just about having an e-commerce platform. It's known about how the technology around your e-commerce and, and the other systems are working to enable your businesses to trade, to self-serve, etc. It's more than just a feature set. So we're delighted to welcome um, Rita Mantler, who's a te- uh, technical integration specialist and founder at We Are Telescopic. Uh, so good morning, Rita. How are you? Good morning. Fine. Equally toasting my home office. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, I'm not going to try and explain um, who or what Telescopic is and what you do, because you'll be able to put it in, mu- in a much better way than I am. So can you give people just your, your elevator pitch, like who you are, what you do, um, introduce Telescopic and what the business does. And I know that you've got some other interesting um, things that, that you kind of get involved in, such as mentoring for women in technology. So, yeah, please introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, yeah, so Telescopic, I found quite a few years ago now, I think seven or eight now, start stopped counting. Um, it was established originally, I worked for quite a few design agencies and realised they always kind of tech was the kind of side effect or the afterthought. So set up Telescopic as serving design agencies, but pretty quickly people came to me for asking more technical questions. A lot of direct clients needed help in their integrations, third-party systems. Everyone had a question of, oh, how do we get that working? And how does that kind of work with my website? So this is how we kind of developed into technical integration specialists. And to be honest, we're still working on the elevator pitch, so to speak, because it's hard to explain sometimes but over the years we have found a niche with clients um, that kind of have multiple digital platforms set up but need help to automate the workflows in between or they have very specific complex integration issues so our clients don't say I need an app that does xyz or I need a standard website so they have usually identified a few business problems and know the tech can help them but just not exactly how and that's where we can come in. Fantastic. And uh, the, the mentoring uh, side of it, like, is that linked into Telescopic or is that something you do independently of Telescopic? Um, it kind of evolved around it, I guess, because I am a woman in tech and there aren't that many around, as you might have noticed, especially not um, historically. I mean, they're kind of picking up quite a bit now with boot camps taking in as many women as men. But um, so... The mentoring is women tech evolved by literally recruiting and seeing, oh, where are all the women? So my team is actually majority women, the development team. And that wasn't planned. It was actually just what happened. So that's where I am. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, I think you're right. It's, it's definitely growing. I've seen a, a lot more um, uh, female developers over the last five years, especially in senior roles, which is good to see. So we might be tapping you up after this episode to, to find out what other interest in women in tech could uh, could be relevant for the podcast. Mm-hmm. No problem. Um, so let's a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, fan- well, that's good. Uh, we want to encourage more, more women onto the podcast. So fantastic. Um, but let's get back to the, the point in question today. So 
as, as a technical integration specialist, myself and Paul find this very interesting because we always say no platform is 100% perfect for any business. And actually, a lot of platforms do very similar things, but in different ways. And because businesses are different operationally, the -the off-the-shelf solutions aren't always a perfect fit. And the integration piece can be the difference between success and failure in an implementation. So what would be really interesting to hear is, who is your typical customer? What type of business um, suits Telescopic's approach? And what what type of need um, is best aligned with what you do? Um, I'd say it's often kind of mid-sized established businesses. I mean, there's always exception, of course, but they're usually in a phase where big changes happen. So they're either growing massively or they need to restructure many old systems and set up. And this is where they then kind of run into, into troubles. As you say, you know, integrations, it's all about, you know, where are the cracks in your systems? Um, we're pretty unbiased when it comes to industry because, uh, our bread and butter projects are quite spread out. There are regulators, membership organizations, food, beverage, health and fitness, even medical science. Um, but they usually have shopped around for off-the-shelf solutions and can't find one and source all of their requirements. Or well, they already have a range of systems in place, but they all don't talk to each other. So a lot of time and their data is lost by trying to manually copy and pasting data exports and imports or trying to manage different dev teams that all work in isolation. It's also an issue with this, with multiple systems. Um, and often they themselves are not technical, technically knowledgeable. I mean, they don't have to be, that's not their business. So they often don't know what they need, who they should talk to. And they need to be, they need, they need to have a bit of research done of what exactly actually solves the problem. So rather than saying, I need a website or app, they're looking for a solution to a specific problem really. That, that makes sense. So um, I'll ask the next question. Um, so you specialise in kind of custom integrations. Can you give some like tangible examples of some of those problems that you've solved and how you've approached the integrations? Um, yeah, so there's actually a lot of third-party systems out there today. As they say, there's an online subscription for everything. Um, and we've seen in the last few years that there are also systems springing up kind of the trying to manage multiple other systems. So there's all these layers of complexity. So when it comes to a client, for example, we have um, a classic one is like Ipswich Theatres. So they have a website and they needed the website built. And then they said, oh, what do we also need to integrate this event management system or this third-party ticketing e-commerce platform? So the challenge is to then regularly pull data from one system, convert it into usable format for their website um, that can also be managed by their content editors and overwritten and basically saves everyone a lot of time. Um, a more complex example is the Architect Registration Board. So that's a regulatory body and there are so many processes and legal checks in place and procedures that are based on ancient policies and they're practically impossible to change. So they literally print out documents and move them from one basket to the next. So that was a massive kind of workflow research phase where we had to figure out how do you take all the things you do and put them into a completely custom system, which we're building for them. Or a smaller one, 
yeah, I think the two two were fine. <laughs> How many yeah, absolutely. I think, I think they're really good examples. And like, I guess with these uh, integrations, so do you have like, are they generally like completely custom integrations or do you have your own kind of proprietary middleware? And when you work with some of the more mainstream apps, I guess, like do you standardize any of the work you're doing um, or is it all kind of generally more custom bespoke integrations? Um, that really depends really because... There are some bits that we can reuse between clients that come up again and again and again, but uh, it's really all about looking what the client already has in place, what systems there are, and we specialize in making their systems work. So we're not specializing in one particular platform or technology. Do you, do you ever do you ever try and productize it? So where, where you see like a common theme coming up and, and over again, like I guess like events and ticketing management where there are, you know, there are platforms out there like Eventbrite, but somebody might want something a bit bespoke, but it's got other neat, other, yeah. right. do, you, do you then create something where you say, actually, do you know what, we could sell this as a product within our integrations? Yeah, you know what, that actually comes up again and again and again. We always say, oh, maybe we could kind of productize that and just package it up and release it as a plugin. Um, but we really never get around to it. I guess it's because the product offering with that support, one providing support to clients that are then developers, it's a very different kind of setup to the service industry. Um, yes. And I also co-founded another startup, so I know what the product side of things kind of looks like as well. And I don't think it would play well. I think we would have to set up a completely different <laughs> company, really. Yeah, understood. I guess it's about not distracting you from your main uh, kind of service delivery. Um, the thing that I'm really interested in, having, having a conversation with, with, with you a few weeks back, is is how do you approach a new project? Because you're not a, you don't build on, you know, for example, you're not a Magento house, right? You you look at custom solutions depending on the unique needs. So how do you approach a new project? What process do you um, do you put in place to ensure you properly understand the client's business needs before you put a technology recommendation down? Okay, so what we always emphasize is that the planning isn't just a little bit up front of the project, it's a core system. So we always basically sell first a discovery and research phase because this is where the magic happens. So we would usually come in, do a few workshops with stakeholders, find out their needs and expectations. Um, we'd also do workshops with internal and external users if it's appropriate. But that then leads to a project planning and specification stage. And the output of this is a lot of documentation that plans the project, the data structure, choice of tech, timelines, cost, maintenance requirement. And that basically means like a blueprint of what you need. And then any kind of developing team could just take that and implement it. So rather than offering a full-blown, this is everything we're going to do, proposal up front, where we kind of pull numbers and timelines out of our head, we kind of... At this, where we, can, where we know, don't know anything about the client's business yet. So we make the proposal the first main stage. I mean, planning is everything. You can't, you know, hire a design agency to then plan, plan your system architecture, for example. So it really shows what value can be added through a system integration. And sometimes it might even say, don't do this custom system because you already have, you know, system A, B, C. Uh, why don't you use this? And then all that's needed is some process ma process change management. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I've been involved in processes before for replatforming where people wanted to throw out technology 
because it's not perceived to be fit for purpose, but the technology is fine. It's just the implementation and the process around it is wrong and you can save money by fixing that. So yeah, that's, I, mean, I think that's an important thing to, to, to highlight to people that, that that initial phase is so critical before you start making any, any investment in actual development work. Um, so linked to that, Another question I've got, because I'm always intrigued to see how technical specialists reach conclusions. How do you and your team make a decision on which technology to recommend? What are your evaluation criteria? How do you weigh up uh, and balance one versus the other? Yeah, there's a few factors that come in there. I mean, first of all, is what I already mentioned is, so once we need to know what the actual problem is, <laughs> so we need to kind of get to know the client's business and their workflows and what they actually need. And then we look at several things. So what system does the client already have in use? Can any of these do the job? Then what kind of systems are missing? Um, do they already exist? So that's then a bit of a market research pro- project to see, do we need to reinvent the wheel or is that already does a solution for that already exist that we can just say, use that. Um, and then is there some custom coding needed where we need to pull things together or create a custom system? We again look at the client's existing tech real estate because sometimes we want to kind of build a system that sits within their own infrastructure and maybe they have an in-house dev team that then can take it over. So in terms of technology, programming language, uh, which frameworks to use, you then need to see who is actually going to work on it because yes, you can choose the latest, greatest technology stack, but you know, if there's only two developers in the world that can actually do it, there's no point in it. <laughs> so if you have experience in one development stack and it can be done with that, by all means do that. But then the final decision also boils down to the usual combination of it's just time, cost, effort, and then also you need to consider ongoing effort and maintenance, which is also overlooked often. Um, and quite often, we also then look at various options. So you start off, okay, these are all the things that we can think of that we could be doing. And sometimes we then break it up and saying, okay, you could start with this one now and do this later, because not everything needs, needs to happen in one project. Um, I think that makes sense. And I think a lot of that resonates with what James and I do, I'd imagine. Um, So next question. So how do you, so given that some of these technologies and kind of approaches might be new to you, um, how do you do, or how much due diligence do you do and how do you go about it just to kind of make sure that, I guess, the recommendation is sound? But then also, I mean, do you ever kind of recommend an approach or technology stack and then, you know, it might not fit with your kind of team and then you end up kind of working with other people or recommending different parties? Um, Let's maybe start with the first part of the question. So how do we kind of do due diligence? So the good thing is once you've actually worked at that kind of field for a while, you've come across quite a lot of technology stacks. So you usually know the pros and cons of most of them. Um, but it's always good to cross-check with team members who have experience with something. So we usually never make, you know, we don't have one person who makes a decision. It's always good to talk to others, so like sense checking. So the question is then, is this particular framework, system, software, is it tried and tested or could it disappear next year and the client might end up with no security or you know, there's a big security issue or a data hole? Um, then, of course, we always need to cross-check, does the recommendation actually fit the budget and timeline? Because sometimes you can set something up for, you know, 
very cheaply up front and then it's thousands of pounds in maintenance. Um, then it's always good to look at other people's experience or opinions. You know, sometimes we post on boards for specific questions. Um, and it's also, it also always good to talk to support teams of any third party systems and see what they think, because sometimes salespeople are actually really helpful. Sometimes. <laughs> um, okay, and then you've, you've got some really nice clients too. Vapiano and Leon are two really great brands. Um, like what were these projects? Um, like, you know, what were the solutions that you ended up delivering? And can you just go into a bit of detail on, on those and kind of maybe how you came to that solution or platform and, um, and went forward with it? Um, a good example is actually Vapiano because that was quite a monster. So Vapiano is a German-owned franchise restaurant chains and all the franchise groups work quite independently. So the French, their Swiss franchise group <laughs> wanted to expand the offering with an online delivery platform where users can order from multiple restaurants in one single order. So it's a bit like Deliveroo but even more complex. And they're in a market where kind of delivery and food delivery platforms haven't been established yet. So, But that also means you could order a pizza, sushi and burger in just one order and that would all arrive in one go. So when they started talking to us, we started with a discovery phase, we're defining front and back end structures and system logic, user journeys, and that all within uh, limitations of budget and timeline again. So that was a massive learning curve for us because it was not possible to build something completely from scratch. And the app should also be launched on multiple platforms. So then there was a question of how can that be maintained in the long run? So for this one, we then recommended building a so-called hybrid app, which means you can have one code base that's based on web uh, technologies that is easy, where you can find people to maintain it quite easily but it can then be rendered out as native app for iOS and Android. For the backend, this is actually was an interesting choice that we made because we then decided to use uh, Magento just as a backend and an API, just because it comes with all of the things that needed out of the box and the things we had to integrate was, was open enough for us to actually do that. And then the big challenge with that, because it integrates with two big third-party systems. One is a delivery management system for the back-of-house tasks and order tracking. And the other one is Vapiano's accounting and point-of-sale systems. So it provides a seamless experience for the staff and the customers in front of sign-ups through to delivery. And managing the relationships between all of these tech teams and the end clients was actually the biggest challenge in there. So... Another bit I'm interested in, Rita, is uh, myself and Paul always talk about this on this podcast, that no technology is ever 100% perfect for any client. So you, 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 you do your due diligence, like you said, and you find something you think is fit for purpose, but there might be a few kind of challenges with it. So what is your team's approach to test a new technology, whether that's a new front-end framework or a, a platform you're integrating with or an app, to make sure it's fit for purpose? And, and you know, how granular do the developers get before that even gets in front of a client? Yeah, so within our team, we always encourage experimentation. So we have um, experimental Fridays, for example, where we say, oh, we want to try this new framework or a new library. And we also tell everyone to regularly do some tutorials or online courses. But 
it's really sometimes just about getting stuck in because online courses or, you know, non-practical experimentations don't really give you the insight of what it is in practice. So I think because we advocate ourselves to be tech stuck independent, agnostic, so to say, we over the years, all of our team is full stack and they have experience in so many different technologies now, it kind of gets really, gets really to heated debates for <laughs> when it comes to new platforms and what to try. So I don't think there's a 100% recipe. I think what you need to establish is just a sort of a risk matrix saying, if this is something new we're using, what are the things that could go wrong? And what are the likelihood of that getting going wrong based on the experience we have with different technologies? So that helps a lot to focus on minimizing the biggest issues. <laughs> yeah, and actually it's an interesting point you're saying that, that most of your developers are full stack because then it's having that kind of end-to-end thinking about if you make a decision that's on a front-end piece, what is the implication from a back-end integration point? And that's really important. Exactly. Skill set. Um, so I guess this links into another question I've got, which is, is you know what you said that you know your team's got loads of experience you've got full stack developers you you've you've got used to different kind of um technologies so typically all the development teams i've worked with have their their favorites so i'm going to ask you the annoying question which is what are the common technology stacks that your teams like to use and why uh, give an example i know agencies who favor for example react over angular from a uh, development point of view or who are looking from a front-end uh, framework and storefront point of view will always go a view storefront those who build on pwas instead of an spa advice so all these beautiful te- technology terms out there and people have their <laughs> favorites so where where do you think the sweet spot is for your teams what what do they like and why yeah it's funny i'm always kind of preaching against technology religion because yeah. <laughs> there's a kind of in an agency especially in, in, in the service industry that we work in you really can't say oh i love angular let's do everything in angular it doesn't work that way because sometimes it just doesn't fit but we because in the past we have built you know react angular apis in python php c sharp use frameworks like WordPress, Magento, Django, Laravel, Flask, Unity, Swift, you know, it's all over the place. Um, but of course, as I said before, we try to steer in a direction where we use software that we already know. So it kind of depends on the type. If it's an application for web and mobile, we very often recommend building as a hybrid app where we then use Angular native script, for example, because we've done a few of these before and we know the stack. Um, for web builds, it's quite funny because everyone kind of decries WordPress that kind of serves 30% of the web or some math thing like that. But it just provides so much functionality out of the box and it just requires slight customization if you want to get stuff running. It's very sustainable because it come, has amazing documentation, which is the biggest thing to actually look for when trying a new framework because the greatest technology isn't worth anything if you can't actually look up how it works. There's great support. It's updating all the time. It's not going anywhere. And there's lots of developers who can support it. It's actually just a tool. So you can also make it nice because sometimes developers roll their eyes when they say, oh, we're using WordPress. And like, no, it's just what you make of it, not, you know, what the actual framework is. So yeah, it gets stuff done. Maybe one more thing. So for pure REST APIs, we usually steer towards Python these days because it's just in comparison to WordPress, then the other hand is, you know, Python is really nice to type and write for developers. So, you know, it's kind of always depends what's needed. 
So in terms of uh, some of the kind of newer emergent technologies um, and also some of the platforms that have just changed um, in 2020, like w what have you seen in 2020? You know, how have things changed? And then also, um, you know, is there anything you're kind of, or any new technologies um, or approaches that you're looking towards in 2021, which you think look interesting? Um, I think the big deal for 2020 wasn't a specific technology. It was just like everything got big. Because with everything moving online, every possible platform is gaining traction at the moment. I mean, for small businesses, there's all this out-of-the-box solution that don't actually need some coding anymore, like Shopify, Squarespace, Wix, and they're a great start. Um, and we often refer people to there. But I think 2021 will be a bit about consolidation and customization. So... There's a lot of layers built upon layers built upon layers. If you talk about, you know, technology and frameworks or um, actual systems for the end users, it's the same thing. So a TypeScript is built upon, it's a, it's a new, it's not, not that new anymore, but TypeScript is a layer built upon JavaScript to make JavaScript more, so basically nicer for developers to use. And it's getting really wide, widespread outside of, frameworks as well now which is a good sign yeah so i think 2021 will be a lot about uh, uh who use technology will be to build upon the experience from 2020 and make their clients life easier as well as making their admin lives easier because that gets forgotten a lot i think that's kind of getting fractures now as well how can businesses save their own time in managing the systems great um, and then what's your take on kind of some of, you mentioned, um, you know, a shop, you mentioned Shopify then, um, but what's your take on kind of some of the um, kind of off the shelf or, you know, SaaS platforms versus um, some of the more kind of API first microservices oriented platforms like e-commerce tools? Um, yeah. And how do you see um, kind of that changing in the future as well? I think there's a place for both of them. So we'll always look for, the most simple and cost-efficient solution to a client's needs. So if we find an all-in-one platform that requires little to no customization, that's actually great. Um, it's really about doing as little bespoke coding as possible. So we always try to get the client involved in the choice of platform as well, because sometimes they also have, because they're out-of-the-box systems do a lot of marketing and AdWords, and people have heard of it and think they're great. Um, so there's... We always need to kind of talk to the client to also understand the pros and cons of the solution of having, you know, your own microservices versus using some existing systems. Um, but it's also about the developers, as you said before. So if you choose an API-based platform that's totally bespoke and whatnot, so how will any developers be able to maintain the system in the long run? So do they have an in-house team or do you just want to have a one-off build and don't have any appropriate ongoing budget, then again, out of the box system's great. So it's kind of about obviously initial cost, ongoing cost, short-term goals, long-term goals. Sometimes it might just be better to keep it simple, get revenue in first, and then go big and build completely bespoke rather than try and get everything 100% before you even have your first paying client. So I think most of my sentences when I get asked something like that always start with, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what i do as a consultant it's a brilliant one how do i do this well it depends on about 30 different variables but it's, it's a, i think that's a really sensible starting point because 
if you if you have an answer straight away, it's always a bit questionable about how much thought's gone into that answer, right? So you have to understand the context mm. before you can you can give a, a sensible technical solution. Yeah, definitely. It's again, it's about kind of technology religion because a lot of people jump to, oh, this is amazing, this is brilliant, we'll solve all your problems. But you don't even know what the problem is yet. So. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And, and unless you are a very, very simple business with needs just a very basic platform that can be done with one of the off-the-shelf ones without even bothering to think about technology stacks, then it pays to think properly, doesn't it? Um, and get the decisions as best as you can instead of having to unpick it in 12 months' time and spend a lot of money doing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I've got, I've got a classic um, um, uh, uh, stitch-up question for you now, which is, um, given what we've talked about, if you were running your own e-commerce store and you were selling, let's call it, let's call it a simple e-commerce store and you're selling, let's say, beauty products and um, you've got a few, few challenges around it in the sense that you've got like um, you know, consultations and appointment bookings, um, you've got multiple language, uh, multiple um, sites, but you've got a relatively simple product to sell. What's your technology stack? What would you personally use for your own business, front end and back end, and, and why? And I know, I know well, there'd be a lot more, well, what effect, just, just your preference would be for, for an ease of integration. Yeah, well, it depends. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess if we're completely new to the scene and I don't have any budget, I will go for Shopify because you press a button and you're done, and most of the things you said are possible on there, or you know, just use another third party and just link to that. Now, if you already have a good idea about your market, your needs, your specific ideas about look and functionality, I'd probably go with WooCommerce on WordPress. Because it's your own build, you can do with it whatever you want. There's tons of support. And again, there's so many useful plugins that are very tried and tested. And it's super flexible, so you can code anything you like. Um, in terms of given the fact that, that you've got full stack uh, skills and knowledge um, and obviously a, a team, what would you do from a front end? Would you just, would, how would you implement it, basically? Would you choose a, a custom front end framework to give you like that full flexibility of implementation? Because like, you know, WordPress and we can work in a headless context. Like, how would you go about the, the technology stack not yeah. platform? If, if I'm a very well-funded startup or a business with a very clear idea and a big budget, I might. But if I'm somewhere in the middle or in the beginning, I would just use the standard HTML, CSS, JavaScript, yep. what you can do in WordPress frontend. Because, again, it's about all the functionality that you can already utilize. If you have a plugin that does your SEO, for example, it won't work out of the box with, um, you know, headless things. So then you have to build all the functionality that the CMS uses custom into your frontend. So it's additional cost and effort. So why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, that's, I think that's a brilliant kind of like um, end point of advice and is, yeah, what, what is your budget? What is your technical um, capabilities and what do you want and are able to, to do from an ongoing maintenance point of view? Because I think sometimes going down that, that customer route, um, people don't necessarily understand what the, the operational maintenance uh, demands are which you alluded to earlier so yeah that's 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 a good answer so you did you said it depends but then you gave an answer which is which is what i was hoping for <laughs> thank you um so that to be honest that's covered all the key questions i wanted to ask uh, paul is there anything else you wanted to ask rita 
No, I don't think so. I think, yeah, it's really, um, really good episode and some really interesting points. I think, it's, yeah, it's an interesting um, little um, offering you've got, I guess. There's very few other agencies um, that operate the way that you do. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yes, it definitely is. Uh, Rita, is there any, any closing remarks you'd like to add in, in terms of, you know, what, what you and the telescopic team are up to? I think it's just a thing that we try to hammer home with all of our clients. It's kind of make sure that your planning is spot on. Do not forget about planning. Planning is everything. <laughs> Don't yeah. just start developing. Yeah, I, I agreed. I, I think there's a lot of time in projects, and me and Paul seen this a lot, is is people want to rush to the, the fun bit, which is, hey, look, we're starting to build a site, and hey, look, we've got content and designs, as opposed to thinking through what the project is and what it's trying to deliver and how, how are you going to def- determine success. I 100% agree with that. Um, uh, Rita, I really appreciate you coming on. I know, I know you're busy. Um, you know, we always appreciate people taking the time. If somebody wants to reach out to, to Telescopic to find out more about what you do or to discuss a potential project, how do they contact you? Well, you can just connect to me on LinkedIn or go to our website, viatelescopic.co.uk. Um, the easiest way is probably to give us a call, a live chat with our new business manager, Tom, as well, who's always happy to talk to everyone. <laughs> like a good new business uh, manager will. Fantastic. Um, well, wonderful. Thanks for joining us, Rita, uh, and have a good rest of the day. And, and thanks to everybody, as always, for listening. We hope you found that uh, a useful podcast. Thanks for having me. Great.